Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Cole Hatter from attendthrive.com. And if you want to learn how to make your relationships matter, then you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. period. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. So today is going to be a really cool show. It is a Build Your Network first, the first guest that has ever come on the show more than one time, and who better than one of my mentors, Cole Hatter. Cole is an award-winning speaker, successful real estate investor, and creator of Thrive Make Money matter. His vision is to change the way businesses are run forever, creating a new breed of for-purpose entrepreneurs, directing profitable businesses that focus on a local or a global initiative. Cole's event Thrive is coming up on September 14th through the 16th, and it's going to be here in Vegas at the Hard Rock Hotel. I will most definitely be there along with a bunch of members from the Build Your Network community. So I would love to see you there as well. Head on over to buildyournetwork.co slash thrive to pick up a ticket for that event. I mean, Ty Lopez, Ed Milet, Molly Bloom, Gerard Adams, Chris and Lori Harder, and several others are going to be headlining this event. You are not going to want to miss it. But for now, here's my conversation with Cole. Cole, super stoked to be here with you, my man. This is actually a Build Your Network first because you are the first repeat guest that we've ever had on the show. So you were back on the show in November, October of last year. So go ahead and catch us up on what's been happening since then. Well, so bought the house we're sitting in right now. And so that's probably the biggest change is 
lived in a house that my wife and I, when we bought it, said, this is our dream home. We're going to die in it. Yeah. Five years later, bought a new one, right? <laughs> Which is actually kind of funny. We found this on Instagram. So for those of you that are social media people out there, you can literally sell houses on Instagram. But so that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, the mastermind, stoked to have you a part of that this year and ramping up for Thrive Now. Other than that, man, it's just my real estate business is cranking. That's not new, but we're doing some new things there, focusing heavily on commercial. I'm leaving in 48 hours on a plane to go look at some buildings. And so so just onward and upward, man. So you made the majority of your real estate income actively, correct? Like as far as lots of fix and flips, lots of active investing, and now you're trying to put some more in the passive? Yep. So interestingly enough, when I started in 2005, it was all passive. I just want to buy a bunch of rentals. Then mm-hmm. I realized, okay, that's cool, but it's not enough to live off of. So then I got into the active gotcha. and then the recession came, things shifted. I took 10 months off, moved to Mexico, found myself, married my wife got back into real estate and then have been face down focusing on the fix and flip active income side and picked up a few passive along the way. But that was just as a byproduct, like, oh, this would be a better rental than a flip. Now for probably the majority of this year, the fix and flip business is very much on automation. It literally is only a few hours a week for me to manage that. My dad's my business partner. And now that we've been doing it for 13 years, it's very systemized and automated. And so now we're really tripling down on buying apartment buildings around 50 units is my goal. 50 units. Yeah, about 50. I mean, I'll go as small as 30. I'll go as high as 90. Any bigger than 90 units, I would need partners. Yeah. And I just want to do it by myself. And my goal is to pick up about 500 units. So whether that's 10, 50 units or 12 buildings, somewhere around 10 to 15 buildings, a total of 500 units immediately, if not sooner, probably on the two-year plan for that. Two-year plan. Yeah. I mean, my buddy that I'm doing it with, he is boots on the ground. It's, it's my money. These will be my properties, but my guy that's introducing me to his inner network, because very much of commercial real estate is you got to know somebody for the good deals. He's the guy you got to know. He says we might be able to pull off in 18 months, but with Thrive and my family and being a dad, it realistically will probably be about two years. And so I'm really focusing on that because I'm sure a lot of your audience is in the digital space where you create products and launch it and coaching. And a lot of my money right now is very transactional, Mm -hmm. not just in my real estate business, which is fix and flip, but Thrive happens once a year, boom, income, then gone. And so although I make great money, and my wife and I are living a great lifestyle. So much, like probably 90 plus percent of my income is transactional, where if I stopped working, I'd stop making money. Yeah. And I don't like that. And even, you know, I've got some friends that have recurring like membership sites and I might get into that, that, you know, uh, continuity type program, but even those still, nobody's going to pay you $47 a month for the rest of your life. Yeah. So there's a high turnover rate and you're always having to change and innovate where if I buy a 50 unit apartment building, it's going to pay me $7,000 a month Actual until I die. passive income. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, until I die. Now, right. of course, well, there's vacancies and stuff like that. But if you have good property management and you keep it above 90% rented, the building we're looking at right now that I'm going to go look at in 48 hours, it'll pay me after everything, taxes, management fees, with a vacancy rate of 10%, maintenance all factored in, it will cash flow me conservatively $7,000 a month. So although, again, and I'm not knocking the digital space, I'll be probably doing a membership site yeah. someday too, right? But it's actually active income. Yeah. Like, it's, let's it's be like honest. Passively like, not, active, right? Right, right. Yeah, like they're paying like it's you residual. every month. Yeah. They're paying you every month, but then you <laughs> right. got to show up and do the Facebook Lives. And then right. you've got to can't, like I'm going to buy this property and then only communicate to my property exactly. management company. So it'll still be managing the property manager, right? Yeah. Right. So my goal is to get 500 units, which would cash flow me somewhere between 50 and $70,000 a month passively, true passive, where all I'm doing is managing a group of property managers and nothing else. And a recession comes, what happens to people's membership courses? I'm not here to knock membership courses. Again, I just said I'll <laughs> probably do one. But what's the problem with the recession is if people are struggling to pay rent or mortgage, they may cancel. Yeah. And if people are downsizing to apartments and I own apartments, 
So there's no such thing as recession proof, but we've been doing very well for 10 years now. The last recession was 10 years ago. There's a lot of speculation that we're towards the next, whether it's a correction, recession, or depression, yeah. depends on what politician you're listening to and what right. their agenda is. <laughs> but we're definitely due for something. And historically, when people can no longer rent homes or own homes, they go and rent apartments. Right. So I would highly encourage your listeners, whether they make it their full-time career of doing real estate or like many of my friends, crush it in their business and then roll their money into real estate. I really do believe that every American should be, and even internationally, I don't, I don't invest internationally, but I'm sure your audience is worldwide. Owning real estate is so important. Yeah. Especially not just from the passive income standpoint, but from a cash producing asset, it's it's super important. And one common denominator, I know I'm probably answering this question longer than you wanted, but no, you're good. I meet really wealthy people and the only common denominator across the board is real estate. There's a guy <laughs> that owned a, what do you call it? Biotech company. I'm actually meeting with him tomorrow. Sold this company for $817 million. Okay. Had nothing to do with real estate. It's biotech. It's like he invented some biodegradable implant where you put it in your body and instead of having to have it removed, it dissolves. Right. So did very well, sold it. He didn't make any money in real estate, but guess what he does now full time. Right. He just bought a hotel and we're meeting tomorrow because he wants to invest in real estate. So the common theme amongst super wealthy people is always real estate, whether they made it there or made it somewhere else and stick it there. So anyway, now that this is like a big real estate pitch, <laughs> but I would encourage all your listeners, regardless yeah. of how they're making money, even if you have a full time job and they mm -hmm. listen to you while they're at the gym and entrepreneurial and looking for that. Cool. Start saving and then take that money that once you've saved enough and go buy yourself a rental property. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit too about the active portion of this. So obviously passive income, passive income is the goal, right? Like that's where we're all trying to head to, because yeah. like you said, like you want to be able to go to the Bahamas and make just as money last month as you did this month mm -hmm. without a bunch of employees and a bunch, you know what I mean? Like without having a business to oversee and check in on the computer, like true actual passive income, right. not like MLM passive income right. where it's like, you got to keep this structure here and these yeah. legs have to be even, and you have to have your group volume and person and all this other stuff or, or not like membership site, passive income, like actual passive income. But one thing I like about what you've done is creating a really big active income source through real estate. And I think a lot of people have huge misconceptions behind the fact that they have to already have money. So like, they'll take what you just said right now, right? And they'll be like, man, that sounds awesome, Cole, but I do need to crush it in my business first. Like I can't make money in real estate until I have a ton of money in my bank account and then I'll do what you're doing. You know what I mean? So you have taken something as sure as real estate and said, I'm going to make an active income here and then roll it back into real estate in a passive way. Yep. So I want, I want you to talk about how to get started with zero money down. And then I also want to talk, this is just kind of a reminder for both of us <laughs> to not get off track too much because I want to come back to the whole recession proof thing because this is something that I try to communicate with people that are around my age is I'm 25, right? So when I started my career, 18, 19 years old, I've always been in a blissful economy. I've only known mm -hmm. the market going up. I've I'm only so glad known you everybody bring doing that up well. and admit it because I'm yeah. calling people out on that like crazy. Yeah, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, Mm -hmm. You know, that I know what it's like to go through that because when the crash happened, I was like 14 years old. Right. I was 15, like literally 14, 15 years old. So like, did I see the effects of it? Yes. Did I see a lot of people lose a bunch of stuff? Yes. But it wasn't me. So like, right. I haven't had that strong realization yet. So, so let's important. talk about both of those things if cool. we can. Yeah. At the same time. So I'll give you the clip notes version then. So when it comes to buying and flipping houses, the active side, a lot of people do think they need great tax returns, perfect credit scores, and a lot of money which can be true in the traditional lending sense. But then there's this whole world of what's called creative financing, and it's called asset-based lending. We're in the middle of multiple projects right now, millions of dollars of real estate in our active side that we are currently owning, renovating with the intention to sell, not one penny of my own money in there. 
And I'm at the point now without sounding arrogant that I could self-fund my own deals, mm-hmm. but I choose not to because I want to exercise the principle of leverage, right? right? Warren Buffett sings that song all day long. And so when it comes to the world of traditional financing, we're all taught have good credit scores, have 20% down, have phenomenal tax returns, and even still it's a gamble on whether the bank wants to fund you. And that's the traditional financing sense. That's your Fannie, Freddie, you know, Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America type mortgage. Mm-hmm. But in the world of creative financing, there are these things called hard money lenders and private money lenders which are investor-friendly sources for capital for deals. I, in 13 years of flipping houses with hard money and private money lenders, have never, and I'm saying it right into the mic, never once have been asked for a credit score, tax return, income statement, or verification of any type. Every house I've ever bought to live in, like this one, oh yeah, dude, you got to qualify. You know, it's a pain in the butt. You're Mm -hmm. underwriting at the banks. But if I, if you were a lender and you're in the business of lending, let's talk about a deal that's going on in Carlsbad right now. The purchase price was a million fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. The renovation was one hundred eighty thousand. My dad's point on this project. So it's a million fifty purchase, one hundred eighty thousand renovation. So it's one million two hundred thirty thousand dollars to buy and renovate that deal. Not one penny out of my pocket or my dad's pocket into that. It's currently listed at one five nine nine five, and it, it's had an open house this last weekend. We're recording this on a Tuesday, and we've got a lot of interest, right? Mm-hmm. And so that being said, let's just say it sells for one six. We're only into it for one, two, three. Right. So our lenders saw that there was over $300,000 of margin there that they had enough comfort to give us all the money we needed to buy and renovate it. Because if we would have screwed up, instead of them getting 9% interest, which is what we negotiated on that deal, a 9% interest rate on that $1.2 million, they would get the whole thing. Hmm. Like it's almost financially better for them for us to default. Right. Because then right. they would own the whole thing and get all the money. Hmm. So when you're doing deals at, you know, you're buying them at way below retail and you're renovating them and there's enough margin at least 20%. So if you're into it for a million bucks, it has to be worth a minimum of 1.2. Lenders will always participate. Some will go a hundred plus, like I just said, and mm-hmm. pay for the renovations and the cost. And so that's really important for you know would-be investors who aren't because they don't think they can afford it. I was 21 years old living at home with my parents, recovering from a car accident when I started doing real estate. And the way that I structured that deal, I guess I'll go there too. One last example, because I really want your listeners to get value out of this podcast, is I did what's called a joint venture partnership. My dad and I both partnered with a different gentleman. My dad and I said, we'll do all the work. You put all the money. And you know, he didn't just blind faith trust us. He went over the numbers too, and he evaluated the numbers Mm -hmm. to make sure he was comfortable. Then he would pay for everything, the purchase and renovation. And although he did a little work up front to look at the numbers to make sure it made sense, my dad and I would do all the work. We found the property. We did the marketing campaigns. We did the negotiating. We found the contractor. We managed the project. We listed. We sold it. When it sold, we split the profits 50-50. Because my dad and I, even though he and I had to split 50 and the other guy got the other 50, it was better to get 50% of something than 100% of nothing. Right. Then we later right. renegotiated that to do thirds. And that's literally how I did like my first 20 deals in real estate. Hmm. Now, that's really expensive to give up half the profits compared to just paying a 9% interest rate. Mm-hmm. But getting started, that was my options. Right. So for those of you that have always wanted to invest in real estate, don't do anything I just told you until you get an education. Yeah. Because the beautiful part about real estate investing, there's no ceiling. You can make as much money as you want. The bad news about real estate investing is there's no floor and you can lose everything. <laughs> yeah, you can lose that. And if it was easy, who would do it? For everybody. Yeah. Everybody. So mm-hmm. definitely get an education first, but be aware that the world of creative financing out there exists. I started by giving up half the profit and I renegotiated to give up a third of the profit and keep two thirds, one for me and one for my dad. Now we're in the business where we're borrowing money between eight and 10% consistently, which means I keep all the profit. I pay back the million two hundred thirty thousand we borrowed on that deal plus a 9% interest rate for the duration that we had it yeah. and onto the races. So to the question of how would someone get started without any money in your pocket? Number one, it's get an education. And then number two, it's realize that the world of creative financing exists 
and it's called asset-based lending. People will literally lend you money based on the deal, not based on your personal finances, et cetera. Yeah. The next thing you talked about was being, in, or did you have anything else to say that? Or you want to talk about pre-recession? No, no, good. Yeah, yeah let's. Because yeah. you wanted me to remind you on that one. Yeah, go. I feel like I touched on a, a key point here because I can tell you're kind of getting fired up about it. So I want you just to kind of go in on it and just kind of talk about how important it is to like hedge yourself for what comes at that time. This is one mistake that I just see a lot of people my age making. They've, like I said, they've only known good times. Mm -hmm. So like, of course you're selling your product or you're selling your service or whatever it is. And you're making a lot of money right now because everybody's doing well overall, obviously not everybody's doing well, but overall, most people are are doing well. screaming right right now. Like it's, it's the best it's ever been. Right. Right. Exactly. So of course it's going to, you know, reflect well, if you're putting in hustle, you're putting in work, but when that time comes, you need to make sure that you're hedged against all that stuff or you're just going to lose everything. Right. So this episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Again, I got started in 2005. Luckily for me, I was 21. And so you were 14 in the recession. Apparently I was 23 in the recession, 22. So I was doing business. And I literally say this, not a lot like on social media, but in my own circles of a lot of our mastermind, I'll say probably two thirds of the people in there, their current business was post-recession. Mm-hmm. So even yeah. some of the old dogs, I guess I'll call myself an old dog in this case that were making money pre-recession, how they're doing it today is something they've created since. Mm-hmm. And so privately behind closed doors with our Thrive community, I caution people and say, hey, dude, do you really think you're going to be doing how you're doing now? in another 2008 economy. right? And so none of us really know. And I'll take a hit in many of my businesses. I don't mm-hmm. know how many people are going to buy tickets to Thrive. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people are going to invest in my mastermind or come to my VIP days, right? But to hedge against that, it's the passive income in apartment buildings that those people who can't afford to come to Thrive 
will be downsizing their home and moving into my apartment. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. And so what's really important for post-recession entrepreneurs is to look at the mistakes made by those ahead of you. You know, I don't agree with a lot of what Gary Vee says. I do agree with a lot, you know, maybe 50-50. One of the things I respect about him is he's a pre-recession entrepreneur. My mentor, Than Merrill, a pre-recession entrepreneur. And I listen to those guys talk about what changed and how they reacted hmm. or how they pivoted, I should say. Yeah. What's really important is to have these types of conversations and for your listeners to really be prepared because a lot of people are, um, what's the opposite of doomsday? Like they're unrealistically optimistic right. that right. it'll never happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of the people that are in the crypto space that say, hey, you know, crypto it wasn't around in 2008. Right. Or I guess that's when it was technically invented. But, the, you know, there's not going to be a recession because there's privatized space and there's cryptocurrency and all, there's all these economic stimulants that weren't around. And we printed basically $10 trillion since the last recession. So mm-hmm. there's all this money in the economy and all these varying factors, which we're not going to have a recession. Mm-hmm. And if you really believe that, you're being naive. Like, you're like, you're closing your eyes to reality to hope for the best because that's the best case scenario for yeah. you. And then that makes you be reactive. Mm-hmm. Instead, knowing, not being a doomsday or a hater or whatever, but knowing that our economy is cyclical, it always has been and always will be, it goes up and down. It's like plants, you know, it they bloom and then they die and then they bloom. It has to correct. It has yeah. to correct. Otherwise, if it doesn't correct, 10 years from now, water of bottle will be $80. Yeah. A water of bottle. A bottle <laughs> of water will be $80. Right. A gallon of gas will be 200 Like right. it has to correct. Otherwise, things will become the affordability index will be impossible. Like, mm-hmm. We literally wouldn't even be able to afford to pay the electricity for this right. house right now. So that being said, to your question of how should people prepare for it, know that it's coming. Uh, research those that have walked the road ahead of you. Maybe not exactly like, okay, cool, I sell e-courses. I don't know anybody who sold e-courses before 2008. Just look at what entrepreneurs did to hedge against that. Mm-hmm. And then also look for income streams that are more reliable in a recession. Maybe there's a way to take your premium product you're selling for $1,000 and make it $97. Right. Repackage it. Uh, yeah, yeah, repackage it and then go for the masses instead of the few, right? Where, you know, even if you still take an income hit, it's going to be more affordable for someone to spend 97 bucks than 997, right? So mm-hmm. maybe rebranding, things like that. Again, to speak in broad generalities, it really is industry specific. Yeah. So I can't guess what every single one of your listeners do, but whatever your product or service is, Ask if it's even needed in a recession. For instance, if you work for Soothe, my wife and I use Soothe all the time. You know, shout out to Soothe. It's an app on your phone that sends a masseuse right to you like an Uber. Hmm. And so we do couples massages. We schedule the time. Two women show up, put the tables right next to each other. We get a little in-home massage. It's amazing. Yeah. Are people who are struggling to pay rent going to use Soothe or are they going to, you know, deal with back pain and neck pain and make their bills? Mm -hmm. So if you are working for Soothe as an entrepreneur right now where like an Uber driver, your phone lights up, someone wants a massage and you go and show up. Are you going to get a big hit financially when the next recession, not if, but when the next at least correction comes? So yeah. ask yourself if your product or service is going to be needed in a, like haircuts, people still got to cut their hair in a recession. Right, right. And if you own a fantastic Sam's or a great clips, one of these like five, no, I don't think it's five, but like 10, $20 haircut places, right. you might actually see a bump in business. Because someone's not going to pay 80 bucks to cut their hair anymore when they get it done for 10. Mm -hmm. So as a broad statement, I would say, look to those who have walked the road ahead of you and then really look at your product or service and ask yourself, if someone is tight financially, are they still going to want to spend 150 bucks for a massage or are they going to pass on that and deal with neck pain and make sure they can pay rent? Right. Right. And then what can you do to pivot now? So instead of being reactive, you're proactive so that when the change comes, you're ready. So for instance, specific to real estate investing, mm-hmm. I will make more money in the next down than up hundred percent guaranteed mm-hmm. because money moves faster. It's called the velocity of money and a little economics for you guys. When we're in a recession, the money's not disappearing. It's just changing people. Mm-hmm. 
in 2009 and 10, when your parents, because you were still living at home, you know, were taking a hit in their 401k or whatever it is and losing equity in their home and just had less financial resources than they would have had beforehand. Mm -hmm. Where did all that money go? Did it evaporate? Did it go out to the ocean? Nope. It just changed people. Mm -hmm. There were investors that knew it was coming. Watch the big short. There were investors that knew it was coming and millions of Americans lost thousands of dollars and thousands of investors made billions of dollars. So I'm not sitting here rubbing my hands, like waiting to make money (laughs) off someone else's misfortune, but I understand economics and it's super important in business, especially as an investor to understand economics. And so I'm not hoping that America takes a beating, but there's no taking a timeout. It's Mm -hmm. not like, oh, we're in another recession. Timeout. Right. You're either winning or losing. You're in the game. Let me gather my thoughts. Like, let me, yeah. Yeah, you're in the game. You can't say, oh, it's a recession. Okay, I don't want to pay bills. I don't want like pause right. for, for three years till this is over. So yeah. you're either going to win or lose. I'm choosing to win. Yeah. And so now I'm preparing myself. It's beautiful outside. Outside right now, the economy's puppy dogs and lollipops, bro. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. rainbows and unicorns. Everyone's skipping to the bank and getting money, but in a recession, that won't be. So that would be my broad advice, you know, depending on your industry or, or product, Obviously, the more specific advice would be a little different, but mm-hmm. just be prepared. Yeah, being prepared, going from, I think the, the biggest key right there is some people are, are either going to, you're like, you're either going to survive the next recession, correction, whatever you want to call it. You're either going to survive or you're going to thrive. And no pun intended here, but Boom. <laughs> you're going to survive or you're going to thrive. And the difference between people who thrive in that are the people who know that it's coming and the people that are prepared for it and hedging your bets against that. Because one thing I don't want people to do And one thing that I'm trying personally not to do is to live in fear until it comes, right? right? Because like, then you could be passing up on a ton of opportunity. You know what I mean? Like for me to sit here and be like, well, I know the economy is going to crash in the next two, three years, whatever it's going to be. So I don't think I'm going to invest in real estate until it's like, you know, 2027 Mm -hmm. and it's back at the bottom. Then, then I'll jump in because then I could be losing out on potentially hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars in between now and that period of time. How do you balance like, I don't want to act in fear, but I also don't want to be like completely naive. Like it's never going to happen. Right. So be proactive. You don't want to have fear for the reasons you just brought up. Right. But doing nothing doesn't make sense either. So right now I would be careful with your money. You know, if you were thinking about buying that $200,000 motorhome because you can get it at a low interest rate and you can afford a $1,500 a month payment to go travel and you're justifying that expense. I probably wouldn't. That should have been a purchase in 2013 or something that you can now sell for a profit or at least a break even. So I would watch your spending. I wouldn't live in fear, but I certainly, you know, not necessarily frugal, but I wouldn't be crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm not right. There are things I would love to go buy right now that I'm choosing not to. But would it be safe to say that that's what you did the first time around? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I was totally over leveraged and I've lived my life differently now, which is I'm the minority of the investor community but I pay cash for everything. And that's my personal life. Like all my cars, I don't know a single dollar on those cars. Mm. And my investor peers are like, you idiot. You could have bought a rental property with that money instead of a car and let your rental property's income pay the lease payment on a car. I get it. But in the recession, good luck paying your lease payment. Nobody's taking anything from me. So everything in my personal life, I own outright period. You can't take my stuff. So that's one thing I learned the first time that I am definitely in the minority of that conversation. Most of my peers, again, are saying leverage everything. Don't use your money for anything. But so that's one thing. But even still, I'm not going out and buying new stuff cash because not that I'm afraid of losing it all, but I want to keep that liquidity available for when real estate starts really going on sale. So I am buying real estate right now, even though I know it will probably go down a tick or two in value, the commercial that is. Mm -hmm. Residential will take a tick down even more than that because I'm buying for cash flow. And brings me to another great point. So buying cash flow versus buying equity. Exactly, dude. Let's say the recession started today and I bought a house today. It's going to be worth less in three years than it is today, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be worth more in 10 years than it is today. Mm -hmm. It's a cycle. So the only risk you have is being over leveraged 
and under cash flow, you know, so like you're paying out of pocket or something. So if I buy these commercial buildings, positive cash flow, great cap rates, everything's going great. And then the recession comes and my property's worth less, but I'm still cash flow and I'm still kicking butt. No worries. Right. Then all of a sudden, the recession or whatever's coming is gone. We're on an upward swing again. Everybody's happy. I'm now in the positive. I've right. got all my money back plus positive. And you're still cash flowing. And I'm still cash flowing. Right. This is, to me, one of the coolest parts about investing in real estate is that this isn't true for a lot of other investments. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like you buy stock in a company, it could literally be out of business. Yeah. Even the best company, even if you buy stock in a GE or a Target or a Costco, like are the odds of it going out of business high? No, they're really low. They've been around for a long time. They're really well managed, all this other stuff, but there's a possibility, you know, yeah. 45, 50, 65 years from now, people got to live somewhere. Right. Totally. So food, water, and shelter. Right. I'm in the shelter business and I have some stock, you know, I do it the Warren Buffett style. I don't day trade. I buy and hold. Mm-hmm. But, and again, I don't try to have that argument with stock people because they're like, oh, you do stop sales and all this stuff you can't lose. Cause it's going to sell. I get all of that, mm-hmm. but I can force appreciation in my properties and you can't manipulate a stock and right. manipulate is kind of a bad word, but like I can buy a house. that's a piece of crap and make it beautiful. And I just force value into it. Right. I right. can't buy Apple's stock cruise up to Cupertino and talk to Steve Cook about improving things <laughs> at Apple to get their stock up. Right. Right. I can't invest in Tesla, which I own Tesla stock. And I can't go to Elon Musk and say, Hey, here's what we should do differently. Yeah. But I can buy a piece of crap house that's mold infested and ugly and make it gorgeous, and now it's worth more money. And the other thing that you can't control is even if you're like, yeah, but cool, there's all these economic factors and all these predictions, cool. What if a company that would have been the next Apple, Mm -hmm. the CEO gets drunk and crashes into a preschool? Right. The company will be doing well, but as soon as the reports come out that the CEO of whatever- Everybody's selling. It's freaking got drunk and crashed into a preschool. Didn't injure children before anybody could say so. It was on a Saturday, the preschool was empty. But still, that type of publicity, headline- you know, CEO of XYZ crashes in a preschool drunk, mm-hmm. stocks are done. Right. So the point is, I agree with you that don't only do real estate. You know, I have some crypto, mm-hmm. I have some stocks. I do a lot of angel investing. I own a lot of equity and a lot of different businesses that mm-hmm. were startup. Most of them, I lost my money, but that's the game. That's why right. the few that are doing well have more than offset those losses. But that being said, real estate is my bread and butter. It is yeah. the backbone of my financial future and currently, and it's where I'm tripling down. Yeah. And if you want to check out like a couple of resources about this kind of stuff, highly recommend checking out Tony Robbins book, Unshakable. So if you want to learn a little bit more about stock investing and kind of the reason like what Cole was just saying, Warren Buffett's strategy of buy and hold instead of day trading, Tony Robbins goes, takes a deep dive into why you should have that strategy. Yeah. And I mean, look, the dude, Warren Buffett's like the richest dude in the world. So you should probably take his advice on it to begin with. But then also there's another book called Principles by Ray Dahlia. Also another hedge fund guy, billions of dollars. In and unshakable. He talks a lot about Ray because Ray helped mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Get the yeah. One of the people that he references a lot, which is why I picked up that book too. Mm-hmm. Like go read Principles and then tell me that you want to day trade. Like I would not even be able to deal with the stress that Ray Dahlia dealt with, like building up his company. Is it super successful? Yes. Is he insanely wealthy? Yes. But the stuff that he had to learn and the amount of money he had to lose that he was in management on, like the stress and everything to take a toll on you over that period of time, like 
to me not worth it. That's why I geek out so much on, on real estate and why I try to get into it as much as I can. And that's honestly called like the main reason I ended up joining your mastermind was like, I loved everything that you're doing with Thrive, but I also liked that you did a lot with real estate. Right. You know what I mean? Both of those things were things that I really quote unquote vibed with to use the Orange County term. But those were a Is couple of things. Is that an OC things. word? I don't think I say vibe, but <laughs> yeah. maybe I'm old school. Yeah. Beach bum word, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I maybe. just feel like people say vibe a lot. I'm definitely one of yeah. those here. I'm on my board shorts. <laughs> But yeah, so it's kind of speaking of Thrive, let's kind of change the topic of conversation here and move into talking a little bit about that. So can you give us kind of an overview, because we touched on it a little bit in the bio and the intro at the very beginning, give us an overview of why Thrive was created. What is it for? So as we talked about, I started my real estate career in 2005, lost everything in 2008. I don't know that I emphasize that. So I lost everything in 2008 through 2010, slowly hemorrhaged until I was out, moved to Mexico, lived there for seven months. My girlfriend at the time dumped me, who's now so my wife. 2010, you moved to Mexico. Yep. June 1st, 2010. I quit my real estate business in the spring. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, thank you very much, dumped me. And so I was single and had no company. So I moved to Mexico to do philanthropy, ended up starting an orphanage and feeding those kids out of what little bit of savings I had left was some of the most rewarding work of my life and realized pretty darn quickly that I would run out of money pretty soon. Yeah. That living off my savings and supporting orphans was not going to last for long. So I needed to go back to America and get money. Mm-hmm. So then I came to a T in the road. Am I going to try to form a nonprofit and just go around, and ask for donations and say, Hey, there's this non or this orphanage in Mexico. Do you want to donate money to me on a monthly basis so I can feed these kids and maybe make that work? For me, it just seemed easier to start a business and sell people stuff. Like to ask you, hey, bro, do you mind charitably donating to me every month? If you've Mm -hmm. got a philanthropic heart and you're feeling good about your finances, you might say yes. If I'm like, hey, dude, you need a new T-shirt. Here's a T-shirt. And I built into that T-shirt enough money to portions of it come to feed the kids more orphanage. Mm -hmm. It just seemed easier to me. So I came back to America seven months later, rebuilt my real estate business from the ground up because I'd lost everything in the recession started some other companies and I did them in a brand that I call for purpose where they no longer only made money within the business model. They gave back kind of like Tom's shoes, you know, for every pair Mm -hmm. of shoes they sell, they gave a pair of Y. And that's what I was just doing privately by myself to get people to give me money for a product or service. So they didn't have to be charitable. They just wanted what I was selling, like a house or something. And then I would take that money and I would live off of it, of course. But then I would have built into that give aspect where I'd feed my orphanage. And then Mm -hmm. we've expanded to doing clean water projects and farms around Africa. And we do work in South America, Southeast Asia with women and children who are victims of human trafficking. So it's multifaceted now where we're making a global impact through my businesses. Mm -hmm. And then it caught fire. Our mutual friend, John Lee Dumas, had me on his podcast to talk about it. And with that type of exposure, my DMs like on my Instagram and stuff was blowing up. People wanted to know how to not just make money, but make a difference. And so my wife and I were like, shoot, let's just do a one-time event just to teach these people how to do this. Mm. So it was Thrive Number 1 in Vegas. Gary V came. Robert Hershevek from Shark Tank came. We had this badass speaker lineup. And it was such a rad experience for me and my wife to see the people transformed. Plus, it was just fun. Yeah. We said, all right, let's start doing it every year. So we'll do Thrive 4 this year. It's three and a half years later because we did the first one. We thought of it six months later. We did it. So we're three and a half months into this journey. Thousands and thousands of people have been to these events so what, back to your question, what like spurred it or inspired it was just the evolution of me as an entrepreneur of yeah. realizing, Hey, I don't want to get rich and die and have people at my funeral say, well, you had a nice house and drove nice cars. Right. You know, I want to make an impact with my businesses. And so as I was way happier, not just making money, but making money matter, as my shirt says right now, the entrepreneurs that we've been able to train are now making money matter as well. And it's pretty cool. It's cool. And so our big vision, our big picture is that 
every business is a for-purpose organization. Yeah. That the old traditional, hey, we're in business just to make money for ourselves, dies. And that every business is expected from its customers or consumers to benefit someone. You know, yeah. They're called for-benefit or B-corps. I call it for-purpose. Hmm. And to just completely change the landscape of consumerism, because it doesn't matter if you're buying a pair of socks or a hat or a freaking therapist for premarital counseling, everybody has a for-purpose aspect. Hmm. Yeah. That's my vision. Yeah. So coming into this whole world for me was pretty eye-opening because obviously my show is about networking, right? Mm -hmm. Village Network Podcast. So when I first was opened up to coming to Thrive was because of John Lee Dumas. Shout out to John. <laughs> he basically invited me to help him sell journals there. And I, I was just volunteering. I was just like, I saw a lot of value in what he'd created. And I wanted mm -hmm. to like learn more from him, be mentored by him. So ended up investing with him and then also volunteering to be like, hey, let me go sell journals for you. So he invites me to Thrive. And then I come in and see this whole culture of like make money matter and see all these different things happening. But one of the things that really intrigued me, which this will naturally move this conversation talking a little bit more about networking is that you took something, a business that you had created, right? Which was in real estate. And you did a lot of uh, real estate speaking and real estate sales. And then also a lot of real estate investing and active investing. You took that money made an event where you're helping a lot of people, but you're also allowing yourself to get exposed to people who may not have known who you were before, which was one of the things that really, really intrigued me about it. And like I said, once I got into it and I was like, man, this dude's, he's networking on a super high level because he's sharing the stage with these insane names like Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone and Robert Hershevec and Les Brown, like some of the best people in this space. Mm -hmm. So you're not only like turning them on to who you are, but you're helping people in the process and the way that you're funding a lot of it is through your real estate business. Mm -hmm. So that was like, man, I, I got to get around this guy. Can you talk about how crucial your like personal branding has been when it comes to increasing your inner circle of people? Yeah. So that's something I was very late to the game with. And one of, I guess I'd call my regrets. I've made all my business money offline. Like every dollar I earned was nothing to do with the internet. Mm -hmm. And so the only reason I even put any emphasis on social media was just to sell tickets to thrive. Mm. If thrive never came around, I don't even think I'd have an Instagram. Like I started my Instagram like 2011 and never even posted yeah. until like 2015. <laughs> I just did it. Cause like, I think Facebook asked me if I wanted to, like, yeah. you want to have an account? I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> so the point is I never posted. I didn't care. It would just be a way for me to browse my friend's pictures so I could stay current in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I had zero brand because I was making millions of dollars. I don't want to say in the real world. I mean, the internet's the real world too, but not with a WWW before. And right, I was making right. money out there mm -hmm. offline. And selling tickets to Thrive was incredibly difficult because nobody knew or cared who I was. Mm. I was just leveraging the brand of my speakers. Who's Cole? Who cares? Gary Vee's there? Okay, I'll go. Right. And to get it where I want it to be, I need people to go because they care who I am. Mm -hmm. And Gary Vee or whoever happens to be a speaker that year is just icing on the cake. And so to get a few hundred people to show up, you can use what I call brand credibility. I can get Ty Lopez and I can get Grant Cardone to come. And because of their names, people will show up. But to keep this event at a thousand plus people, 2000, or even filling stadiums someday, it's because people have to care about my brand and the Thrive brand, even yeah. more importantly, right? Yeah. They don't have to like Cole, but the idea of making money matter, that brand has to matter. And so putting an emphasis on the building of the brand is something I've taken more seriously every year. And for the first time this year, I actually have people doing it because it's so important and I'm not great at it. And that's super important to point out. Some of your listeners may be like on Instagram all day long and they don't need to outsource that. Cool. For me, I would suck at consistency. I'm that way. Man. Yeah. So I'd I'll have be to post on Instagram in like a month and a half. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've hired someone to do that. And so yeah. anyway, back to your question, you know, my brand has gotten to where it is kind of just, I don't want to say organically, but as a result of hosting Thrive, mm-hmm. these last probably four to five months is the first time I've actually been paying money to have employees manage it with the emphasis of let's get followers, let's grow this right, thing. Right. And I mean, I can't tell you how many opportunities come in. And so I'll summarize a brand as this, you know, it's not what you look like. It's not a logo. Your brand is how you make people feel, Mm. period. That's Mm. what a brand is, right? Here's an example. The difference between Motel 6 and the Four Seasons Hotel. Mm -hmm. They both are a place to sleep. They both have a bed, a shower, a place for you to brush your teeth. But you feel very differently about the Four Seasons than you feel about a Motel 6. And that's their brand. And so it's really important to make sure that your brand is credible and that it's honorable and that people want to follow you. It's hard to distinguish that in a noisy marketplace. Hmm. So it's not hard to be authentic and be real and to not be a dick, right? But it's hard in a noisy place to say, you know, here's my brand and here I am. So what I've done to accelerate that is Thrive. Yeah. Where people are like, okay, if Cole has guys like Ty and Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone and Jack Canfield and Les Brown and all these gangsters, and this year we've got Ed Milet and Eric Thomas who literally, if you go to Google and you type in motivational speaker and press the space bar, the first name it auto-suggests is Eric Thomas, above <laughs> Tony Robbins. He's That's number crazy. two. Yeah, so like these That's types crazy. of people coming is what gives my brand credibility and yeah. notice. But if I had Kylie Jenner saying, hey, go follow Cole, yeah. and I was a total donkey, mm-hmm. even though I had attention for a moment, they would go away. Right. So that's why I start by saying build a brand, to your point. Have a brand that's powerful make people feel a certain way about you. Like this person's awesome. They're genuine. They're always giving, they're never asking and then work on getting the attention. Yes. Because if you get a lot of an influx of attention, like again, a Meg influencer, Kylie Jenner is like, go follow me. You'll get a million followers, mm-hmm. but then you'll post and get five likes. Cause there's a million followers. Are like, I don't care what this person has to say. Right. right. Just so it's important to build yeah. the brand and then build the audience. Yeah. I agree with that so much. I was literally talking to some, I was talking to legacy, a mutual friend of ours. And if you're listening to the show, you can just type in legacy Perez and you can go listen to his episode too. Really cool guy. But I was talking to legacy about this because that's exactly what I've done with the show, right? Is like at the very beginning, it's just about creating quality stuff, like trying my best to make sure that anybody that did come into contact with my brand, what I was trying to do would actually like what they're listening to instead of just be like, all right, next all right, next, like, I don't want to listen to this at all, right? So to your point, the whole idea is you can't bring attention to something that's not quality because the people won't stick around. Mm-hmm. Is that basically basically totally. what you're saying, right? You can have a restaurant and you can have the best advertising in the world mm-hmm. and be in freaking Times Square, New York, mm-hmm. where the foot traffic is awesome. Mm-hmm. And if you are giving people food poisoning right. and the soup comes out cold and the freaking whatever, the salad's wilted, mm-hmm. doesn't matter that you have like the best prime location in the world and that you have an insane amount of advertising, people are not going to enjoy your brand. They're mm-hmm. probably not even going to want to pay for the food and they're sure as heck not coming back. So again, the restaurant analogy, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And flipping it the opposite would be true, but only for a period of time is, is the way I look at it, right? So if you start not in Times Square and not with good marketing and you start in some little storefront that you lease out that just looks really crappy, but everything that you make there is just bomb, right? Mm-hmm. Like your food is the best in the world. Like you're not going to get a hundred thousand customers your first year, you right. know what I mean? But you keep putting that out there. Everybody's going to be like, bro, have you tried that spot? Right, it's like, you, totally. you, you, have to, you have to go look for it. Like, like you have to go look for it, but trust me, it's worth it. I swear. Dude, and those are my favorite restaurants. I know we're yeah. using, and this is a metaphor or yeah. whatever, an analogy, right. but yeah, no, I, they're I the ones with the lines out the door. Totally. Right? Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Those right. are the ones that have the lines out the door. 
a little mom and pop hole in the wall ones, like 16 yep. top tape. Yeah. So that's totally true. And so as far as building your brand to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about the restaurant, maybe think of something, but what would you say then I'll flip this on you. I'll make, I'll interview you as far as building a brand. <laughs> you, you did this last time too. <laughs> oh, did I? So what do you have? Good. So then let me flip it on you, bro. Yeah. As far as guiding principles, what do you think are some of the considerations for your listeners who wants to build a brand that even if they don't have the Times Square location, they have zero followers should follow guiding principles or steps to take to have a quality brand. Yeah. This is what I tell people. Quality, consistent content with context. All three have to exist in my opinion, because you could create quality. Too bad quality content. doesn't start with a C because you I have know, consistent right? content. Yeah, with you can context. technically spell it with a C. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> quality. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be good, solid content and it has to be consistent. That to me is probably the biggest factor that most people miss out on because if your content sucks, but you do it consistently, you'll probably get better at it over time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you could just suck at the beginning. And if you don't trust me on this, like literally go listen to the first few episodes of this podcast and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Like I was literally horrible at doing this kind of stuff. But like the bottom line is you do it often enough. Like now at this point, I'm coming up on a year. August will be a year that my show has been launched, but it's been three episodes a week for a year. So wow. I've done like 150 of these things. So like you can't help but get better. If you put any effort into it, That's you're going to get better. That's a lot of freaking work, bro. It's are you going to keep the three episode for the next year? Or are you going to change you know, it? Like we're changing it up. Time? We're changing it up. Yeah. A lot um, of people do that. They'll do something for a year and then change it to keep it yeah. new. And- Which is kind of why we're doing this one on video because we're changing it, scaling back to one interview a week, mm. but we want to do like a deep dive. That's why you and I are talking. Like usually my episodes are like 25 to 30, 35 minutes or so. Now they're more like 45 to an hour because I want to like go deep, have really quality conversations for one episode a week. And then we'll have some fun with two other episodes. So we'll still be putting out three a week, but it'll just be, it won't be as many interviews. Cause that, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's tough to keep that. It's just, yeah. But yeah. the bottom yeah. line is like for a year I did it, mm-hmm. you know? And like that only helped the quality of my show increase exponentially versus somebody who only does it once every two weeks right? because they're not as consistent. So they're, they're not getting it as good in as short of a period of time. So I think that those, all three of those have to be there. It has to be consistent. It has to be quality and you have to have context. Right. You can't just like speak a bunch of stuff out there with absolutely no context and reach somebody that's not in that context because why do they care? You know right. what I mean? Like if I'm talking to a specific person, but that person doesn't see my show, like it doesn't matter. They're right. not going to connect with it anyway, even if it is good and consistent. I completely agree. One more thing too, I would add is authenticity. It's way easier to be yourself than someone else. Yeah. And I see a lot of people who see like Ty or see Gary who try to do like the Me Too brand. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, man, it's not only easier to be yourself, but then your followers will like, you have a higher quality follower because they're following the real you, mm-hmm. right? So and you'll like means. to work with that person better. That sounds so like mom's advice, like just be yourself. But like, it's really true in the world of social media to not put up a facade because if you're building a base of followers, posturing is something you're not. Mm-hmm. The people are following someone who's not really you. Right. So just being you on social media, you're going to follow people who love you for you. And that's the easiest thing to do. And people will start to realize those inconsistencies too. Mm-hmm. You know, like they'll start hanging, like if I'm like following your stuff, like I did and went to your event, like I did, but then I come chill with you at your house, like I'm doing right now. And you're like a totally, completely different person. Yeah. I'd be like, what is this? Weird, like, right? that, yeah. like, not only is that like a little bit of a turnoff, like it's just kind of like that person was who I wanted to hang out with and right. you're a different person. So now I have to figure out if I even like you anymore. You know what I mean? So what you're saying like, is are we even wear, friends? I should <laughs> wear board shorts at Thrive then. That's what you're saying, right? No, yeah. no more pants on stage. Yeah, no more button-ups. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tank top. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, that'd be no. funny. 
But yeah, man, so we talked about a lot of different stuff here. I do need to ask this question. We talked about it last time, but I have to ask it again. Who you know or what you know, which is more important? I don't know what I said last time, but I'm going to say both this time. So everyone says who you know or what you know. If I had to go with one or the other, I'd say who you know, mm-hmm. because at least uh, you're in fellowship and you have friends versus being a know-it-all that's alone. But I mean, I can't tell you how many relationships I have that were only lucrative because I knew something and I had something to bring to it. Right. If I was friends with Gary V, but a total dumbass and knew nothing about anything, right. like who, what was he a, a guy I have drinks with on the weekends? Probably right. not because he's always working, right? right. So, but if I knew something about digital marketing or had something to bring to the table, then there's Mm -hmm. a collaboration there. So if I had to go with one, I would say it's who, you know, however, I've never made money because I was friends with someone, right? I always made money because I was friends with someone and knew something Mm -hmm. that we then collaborated on to be profitable. Yeah. Right. And I assume you're asking for business, right? Who you know versus what you know. Yeah. And really just like general life things. But I think that it's important to point out that there's somebody out there that's probably, and if you're listening right now, I'm talking to you, there's somebody out there that's probably making more money or in an opportunity that you would be better suited for, that your knowledge would be better suited for, that your skill set would be better suited for, and that you could just crush better than they're doing. But they have that opportunity because they knew the right people. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't really happen a lot the opposite way. So mm-hmm. that's why I always talk about like, like, yes, both are important. You have to be competent, right? You have to like do things well and work hard and improve yourself and always get better. But like you just said, if it's one of the two, if you have to pick one, the who is just always going to win out to me because it's always going to increase the what anyway. Totally. Not to throw when you were talking about someone else doing it better, I don't know why I thought of Britney Spears. No offense. She can't even freaking sing. She's all like <laughs> auto-tuned or whatever, but she clearly knew the right person. I know so many friends personally that like they sing and it like does something to you. Mm-hmm, like they're mm-hmm. the best voice. A friend of mine, she sings, you get like freaking goosebumps. Yeah. And making her own records at home or like what do you call them now? CDs at home. Mm-hmm. And like going to the beach and trying to hand them out to get found. Right. And no offense to Britney, here's this chick who even after they auto-tone her and all that stuff in the studio, still only sounds mediocre, right, but right. was marketable, had a following from Disney, and is gorgeous. So she looks good on print, and a team of marketers yeah. marketed Britney. So shout out to Britney, nothing but love, but she'll be the first to tell you she can't sing either, right? Yeah, yeah, and like so that's a good example. Out there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good example yeah. of what yeah. you're talking about, of knowing the right people, because she's obviously it's crazy, crushing. man. It's um, crazy. I'll see those people like some... There's like a couple people I always think about. Like I, I remember this one guy who was playing guitar and singing in a hotel one time. I just like stopped and like listened to him for like three or four songs. It's like, this dude's incredible. Like he has such a crazy, powerful, like I would for sure like listen to your stuff, man. Like, yeah, for sure. But doesn't have the opportunities in front of him because he doesn't know that people. Wait until you see the girl who's singing at Thrive this year. Her name's Gabrielle. She's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Dude, she's so freaking gangster. Yeah. So you'll see. Awesome. And, and she's, awesome. she's going to do really well. Well, cool, man. We could probably talk for a really, really long time, but we're getting close to the end here. Let's wrap it up. Move on to something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Cool. What profession other than your own do you think it'd be fun to attempt? Professional stuntman if for movies. Could, if you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? I said this last time. I'm having deja vu with my grandpa. First name that popped back up. Why? Because he passed in the recession. And so he saw a quick flare of my business, Hmm. but I think he'd be so stoked to see where I am today. So I remember answering that on the last one and it would still be my grandpa. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Audio, 100%. 
Cool. I'll even be on YouTube watching a video through my headphones with my phone in my pocket, not watching the video. So always audio. Which is why podcasts are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. My freaking kids have FOMO and love to wake up before the sun. <laughs> so it starts with going and picking them up out of their rooms, coming back to my room with my wife and doing like a big old family slumber party for anywhere from 20 minutes to a few hours, if it's depending on how early they wake up. <laughs> and then family breakfast always. And then I take my five-year-old to school always. And then from there, every day is different. But the first three hours of my morning are uninterrupted family time. No journaling, no self-development, just 100% focus on the family. What is your go-to pump-up song? Gosh, that changes. What am I listening to right now? I can't even think of... Uh, dude, I'm the worst with artists, and I'm the worst with the names of songs. <laughs> um, got to start singing them. Dude, I can see it. It's uh, He's got a freak Post Malone. I can't think of the name of the song, but that's what I'm listening to a lot right now. <laughs> what is something that you are not very good at? Paying attention. And as we get everything wrapped up here, man, what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most? Probably Instagram, at Cole Hatter. Uh, just one word, no underscores, no dots. Just my name. And then attendthrive.com for all the Thrive stuff we've been talking about. Perfect. So if you would like to go to Thrive this year, I highly recommend it. I will be there. Um, a bunch of people that I know will be there. Would love to see you there. Head over to attendthrive.com. Cole was mentioning some of the speakers earlier. Can you give just kind of a, a brief recap before we wrap this up on some of the speakers, what they can expect, and then again, where they can buy those tickets? Sure. A previous guest of your show and an intro from you. Thank you. We just announced today, actually, Molly Bloom will be there. Awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, so we've got Ty Lopez coming back. I think I mentioned, yeah, I did Eric Thomas, right? So I said, mm -hmm. you know, Eric Thomas, hip hop preacher, Ed Milet, you know, the guy's worth over 400 million, top 50 under 50 in America. Both Harders, Chris and Lori Harder are going to be this year. Lori was there last year, absolutely crushed it. Gerard Adams, guy was 25 years old and sold his company for 50 million bucks. Doesn't suck to be 25 yeah. and have a $50 million check. I don't know what he kept in his exit, but right, right. his company was purchased for 50 million. So I'm sure he didn't go, go yeah, struggling. He's not broke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's not broke. And Steve Sims, just a bunch of amazing people. I'm trying to think, of course, Sonia, who will be our best speaker this year. My wife, <laughs> who literally killed it last year and is going to do it again. So really powerful lineup. And then a few more that we're announcing this week that are be coming up also. So awesome. we'll have about 20 speakers. Last year we had 26 and it was just too rushed. So we're going to do 20 this year to let them each get 10 minutes longer. Okay. So it'll be as much content, but 10 minutes longer with each speaker, 20 speakers. So yeah. it's powerful, dude. And this is, I go to events a lot. Obviously, I have a networking podcast. It's what I do. I mean, this is one of the most engaged events that I've been to. So if you are somebody that likes personal connection with people and you also like good content and speakers, I highly recommend checking this out. Like I said, I will be there. Would love to see you there. So head over to attendthrive.com, pick up your tickets, and I'll see you guys there. Cole, thanks so much for coming to the show today. Again, I had a blast chatting with you for a bit. Bro, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You might hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. So if this is something that you are interested in at all, which it should be, then hit me up and let's chat to see if you would be a good fit for my mastermind, Build Your Network Alpha. Just shoot an email over to travis at buildyournetwork.co and let's talk about it. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.